Please note that the contents of model mentality are for informational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding your condition. Never disregard professional advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on model mentality. Hi, I'm Dr. Ali Sharma, a psychiatrist and mental health advocate. And I'm Bridget Malcolm, an international fashion model. And this is Model Mentality. We created this podcast to open up the dialogue about mental health in the fashion industry by exploring the lives of models through the lens of their personal mental health experience. Each episode, we will invite a leading fashion model to sit down to chat, going behind the visual imagery and what you may know of their external life to take a deeper dive into who is actually behind the mask and at the real struggles these models have faced. And in our Let's Get Clinical segment, I'll explore connecting the dots between our guests' personal stories and the larger mental health context. Because at the end of the day, we are all human and our struggles are universal. Hit the subscribe button on the podcast and tell all your friends about model mentality. Please note this podcast is strictly for educational purposes only, and please consult your own provider for any mental health issues you may be facing. On this episode, we are speaking with Robin Lawley. Robin is a trailblazer in the fashion industry, being the first plus-size model ever to appear in the pages of Sports Illustrated. She has been on the cover of Italian Vogue, French Elle, and Australia's Madison magazine, making her the first plus-size model to appear on the cover of an Australian magazine. She has also appeared in advertising for Ralph Lauren and Calzedonia, as well as H&M and Mango. Five years ago, after Robin gave birth to her daughter, she had two strokes and was diagnosed with lupus. In this episode, we explore how she has coped with this chronic health condition, the benefits of a healthy diet on her health, motherhood, and her view on body image as a plus-size model. All right, Robin, thank you so much for coming in and agreeing to speak to us today. I'm very excited to talk to you. No worries, so yeah. am I. Um, so my segment, we kind of talk about who you are outside of modeling and who you were prior to modeling and kind of painting a bit of a picture of you as a person at large. Um, so you grew up in Girraween, a suburb of Sydney. What did you want to be growing up? Actually a chef. Huh, that makes <laughs> a lot of sense actually. Yeah. <laughs> really was into food, really mm. loved food. So yeah, I wanted to be a chef. Cool. How do you think growing up in Australia shaped your views on the environment and environmentalism? Because I know that's incredibly important to you. Well, yeah, it shaped it immensely. Like I said, my mum was composting when I was a kid and we used to tree plant every Sunday instead of going to church, we tree planted. Um, she was into gardening and I was really into just bonding with my mum because I'm one of three. <laughs> so any way to bond with my mum. I would, and that was through gardening, but it taught me so much about the natural world. And I think, you know, I'm all about the environment and saving the environment. So yeah, I still compost to this day. Thanks, mum. <laughs> and thanks to you now, I know that I can bring my compost to Union Square. Yes, and exactly. <laughs> There's and a few places. Yeah. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Um, how did you get scouted to model? Um, my older sister is actually really skinny and tall and beautiful. So she wanted a model. Um, she went to a few agencies and she didn't get accepted, unfortunately. And then she took me and they were wanting to sign me, but I wasn't ready. And they, you know, were commenting about my size at 14. 
already and I was like oh this is intense I was like I'll lose weight I'll take time I'll lose weight um and then yeah so I was trying to lose weight and I actually was vegan then at the time as well um so yeah 14 15 I was you know starving myself because I'm a big person I'm six foot two I've got wide hips you could starve me all day and all night I'm still going to be size eight even at my skinniest you know you can't shrink bone structure <laughs> um and then it was such a different world of modeling back then. What year was this? Uh, it was kind of like when Jim Award was starting. Right, so like 2003, 2004-ish? Yeah, I have really bad memory. <laughs> like 2005 and <laughs> six. like Jim Award was really Tiny. the body type to be. And Jim Award and me are completely different body types. I love Jim Award, but her body is remarkably different to mine. Yeah, that's about the time that I got scouted to model. And I remember the same thing. I went into my first agency and they're like, you need to lose weight. And there was no like clear guideline on how yeah. to do it healthily or anything. No, they so. don't, they just like, they, you know, they touch you, mm -hmm. which I was really surprised about. Now looking yeah. back, they touch you and they comment on you and you're standing right there and you're a teenage girl. <laughs> like you don't need to, you know, have that added pressure well, it's like anything added to how much you already feel about yourself at that age yeah like you're so you already feel aware. pretty shit <laughs> <laughs> so how old were you when you moved to new york i was 1920 mm. what surprised you the most about that move and that transition um i i'd written it down before it was i'd really loved europe i'd backpacked and wanted to live in europe and stuff and i never saw myself in new york i never visioned myself in new york or anything like that so it was just kind of a ride. I just went on for the ride and yeah, I really liked it. Like seeing meeting and yeah, I was dirt broke though. So it was hard. It wasn't easy. It was definitely like a hard slog. Mm. A lot of people don't realize that like when models first move to a place like New York, you're relying on your agency giving you money mm -hmm. to eat. Or models apartments. Models too. apartments. And like <laughs> Living with to... eight girls. So <laughs> much fun. It's loads of fun. The, one, the first one. Well, two the... bedrooms, two were in bunk beds. <laughs> <laughs> Mine was one bedroom and it was three bunk beds, one bedroom, one bathroom. It was brutal. Oh, it's World War Three, dude. Yeah. I was so scared. I, I don't think I made any friends or talked to anyone. I, I mean, I'd like... made, I got to meet some girls too, but yeah. I'd. A lot of my friends then got chewed up and spat out. Same. They're all la they're not here anymore. Like so many of them, it just New York cycles through its girls. It really does. The fashion industry in general, I think, does. What do you think it is about you that kind of helped you stay? Like, what what is what is a quality about you that like helped you stay and outlast those other girls? I guess. Uh, I have a really amazing manager, Chelsea. Mm. Um, she's still my manager today. She's the one that signed me as a curve curvier girl at 18 and she was kind of like a real big sister with knowledge and experience and she was like just hang in there Robs just hang in there I know you're gonna make it just hang in there and I'm like hang in what like <laughs> this is debilitating and like embarrassing and I had a bigger career in Australia so I just didn't know what I was hanging in for right. um, but yeah I used to fly back often so I got to see my family and friends which helped and I would come back and do it again and just slog it out again yeah, it's interesting how like flying home can just reset you. Like, I, yeah, I just spent a month at home, actually six weeks at home, and I come back and I'm like, oh, right, yeah. okay, cool. People who sound like me, like this is this is good. I can yeah. do this. <laughs> no, it's good going home. Yeah, it really is. So you had a stint in straight size modeling, and if anyone obviously is a podcast, I'm doing air <laughs> quotes here because I, I really dislike the straight size plus size like dichotomy of models, but get into that so for straight size modeling you had to maintain an australian size six which is a u.s size four 
preferably here in the US, they prefer a size two. Um, <clears throat> after a year, you decided that you'd had enough and you went to plus size, basically. You obeyed your body's natural like intention with its size. What was the biggest difference between straight and plus size modeling that you found? Um, I felt very comfortable for me because I just didn't have to worry. It was just mm. like that pressure gone. And like you said, I remember being in that model's apartment and when my friend just not eating, like so skinny and just not eating, she'd stare at food and she was such a lovely girl. I loved her. And I'm like, Flynn, just eat something. Please just eat something. She's like, no, I can't. I can't. You just don't understand. I can't. And I'm like, you know, I'm a crazy person if you starve me. Like, I'm crazy. You don't want to be around me. You don't want to be near me. I need to eat all day. It's really it's really intense being around girls who are in that. You know, yeah. at one point I was also in that. And it's astounding now to look back and be like, I put up with so much to yeah. maintain the size that just wasn't natural for it's, me. It's not like, and now we can look at it differently. We're like, everyone is beautiful in their own different ways like I like diversity I love curvy girls especially when I see them dance I'm like yes girl <laughs> like I that's what I like and I know that's what men and women like it's not just I don't know why fashion got so obsessed with this one ideal of skinny mm. it just I still don't understand it yeah I mean I have my theories on that but we don't need to get into that right now <laughs> I want to hear it later Bridget <laughs> <laughs> um, what is the biggest difference between like a straight size model and a plus size model that you've noticed I don't know if that's like way too generalizing right now. Like if there's a difference personally, whenever I'm on set with like, again, air quotes, plus size girls, there's a lot more energy. There's a lot more like charisma. Um, there isn't to say that straight size girls don't have that, but it's almost, I found it's almost like expected more of plus size girls or am I completely wrong in this question? <laughs> no, I mean, it's, I think a much smaller world curvy model. It's getting bigger now. So I think it's very small. So a lot of girls know each other. A lot of girls, I'm in air quotes now, support each other too. It's not that true. It's very competitive. It's like sports in a way. So I've had some girls be really supportive but then backstab me behind my back. So it's not – I find it – it's just the same. I don't right. see the difference. Cool. All right, awesome. Um, as a plus-size girl, is there pressure to remain like plus-size? Because with straight size, it's two to four. Yeah, no, definitely. This is where it gets a bit – for me because it's like for a long time the fashion world was transi transitioning into um, using curvier models so you know my size 10 to 12 was US was actually really the only size that they would use they wouldn't go past a US 12 so a lot of my curvier friends were just used for catalogue and they were never used for fashion editorial um, I've already forgotten the question <laughs> no like it's yeah what was the question yeah so as a plus size model, like, is there pressure to remain uh, yeah. plus size? <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> yeah, no, there's a lot of immense pressure for some reason. Um, yeah, like now I'm in this weird no man's land where you're too small, you're too you're not curvy enough. Um, which, you know, coming from designing swimsuits, I know you can make a sample size any size and you can pin and stretch out things. So for me, sample sizes is just like a fallacy. It's not you can make sample sizes anything. So I don't know why they've got this added pressure into being curvier now. Like I can't do that either. Like I said, I'm, my body's my body. I'm not changing it for anyone. I can't be bothered. I don't have the time and my health is more important. I love that. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same place as well. Like I get, I stopped have I'd gotten to recovery from my eating disorder and kind of just let my body settle to where it wants to settle and 
it is this size and like I can't go smaller and I can't go larger and the idea of having to force myself to be larger or force yeah. myself to be smaller is just like yeah just doesn't happen anymore. I have the same feeling with both too it yeah. it's works both ways they were like just gain a little weight, more weight and I'm like no you're just getting back into that zone of just lose a little weight yeah you know what happened to loving my body you know you just lying it's so like, love your body as long as it fits yeah, exactly what exactly we want. <laughs> exactly what we want and need yeah, totally um so what are your views on like I mean I guess we've already kind of covered this question on like the polarized straight and plus size market like how do you view the fashion industry changing to encompass the gray zone that lies between these two extremes I think it's gradually happening now anyway and I think more and more women are getting stronger and more outspoken about it and they're just realizing like health is more important your health is the most important thing that you have and that you hold um and so you just have to do it for your own body and i think more designers are doing that when they realize that they can't live off just coffee and cigarettes a day you know they need to worry about their health yeah health is in incredibly important um okay so just shifting gears a little bit i really admire all your ventures outside of modeling you know you have a swimmer line you cook your environmentalism what keeps you grounded amidst all of this and you have a child and a modeling <laughs> career it's like what keeps you just like centered through all of it Oh, thank you. Um, my music, actually. Oh, cool. It's electronic music that keeps me grounded, ironically. I love my music programs. I love, I'm a nerd. Um, I really love music, like, to an insane level. So. And, like, creating it and stuff? Mm -hmm. cool. I've been doing that since I was 18. So DJing, music, that's my biggest love. So modeling was always a job to me. Music was always, like, my goal, my head. Um, and that's slowly switched, too, with this career. It's, like... I see the potential and the power of being someone that truly does accept their body for as they are. Mm, that's so cool. So you're vegan, right? Why veganism? Uh, because we kill 75 billion animals a year <laughs> for eating, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, no. I mean, I'm, I'm still alive. Yeah, right. I I'm am healthy. as well. So yeah. I'm, I'm always curious how people will kind of answer this question because it's so personal. So for you, veganism is very much about like, the world at large and its effects on and it's also like so much waste as well unnecessary yeah i mean i like i was, I was a vegan when i was a teenager because i'd watched all those videos as well and i traumatized myself Earthlings? yeah all of them when i was a teenager and my family were just very disconnected to me we used to have insane fights you know because i'd seen it and i was like i can't eat chicken when i've just seen them all just get slaughtered mm. And then when I started modeling again, like curvy, I didn't want to be a problem for anyone. So I just started eating anything on set. I was like, no worries, no worries, it's fine. And then I did a decadent cookbook, <laughs> you know, filmed it and photographed it and was so into the, you know, world of meat and food and eating it all day, every day. And then I got really sick and I had a lot of health problems and um, that's when I got lupus and... Um, that's when I had my health deteriorated after my daughter was born very rapidly. I had two strokes caused by lupus and APS. I had strokes without even knowing strokes. I had strokes and I was still working. And they're like, why is her face twitching? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just, I'll fix it. It's fine. You know, I was, I even went to hospital and they're like, she's just got postpartum. And then I went to Australia and they're like, you've had strokes. You're lucky to be alive and talking to us right now. And I'm like, what the? Like it was all blurred to the hospital, you know, it took days for me to even come out of like a coma situation. So like it was, you know, that's why I'm saying health is your, you know, most important aspect. And I met a doctor. She said I could cure your lupus with veganism. 
um, trust me, I'm, I had lupus and I was like, yeah, whatever. And then, you know, I kept living with it and then I had a seizure down a staircase and I was very public about that. That's from the lupus and stuff. And then I was like, you know, I'm going to give this woman a try. I don't want to take all these drugs for lupus because it's intense and it's like they could put you on chemo, you know, and I'm like, I don't want to go on chemo. Like she's saying she cured it. I'm going to give it a try. And I miss veganism because I'd start watching the videos again. <laughs> like you just want to traumatize yourself. Just watch the videos and then you'll be into veganism. And yeah, my family went with vegan with me too, my man and my baby. And that has been the game changer for me. You know, literally having my partner being like, I'll do it with you, baby. I love being vegan. And he says it to me like almost every day, as does my daughter. And so we've been vegan over a year now. We're all remarkably healthy now. My daughter just got perfect tick of health. Her iron in improved. They're like, what have you been doing? I'm like, we went vegan. Um, my lupus, I don't have to take any drugs, is under control. My rheumatologist was like, your lupus levels are down. You don't actually have to take any of these drugs because it's apparently not curable. You can't use the word cure. So I just say I've got it under control. Um, so, yeah, there's a real strength to veganism. That's insane. I had no idea about any of that. Yeah, it's very Raw, but I, I'm like, I eat eight cups of greens a day and yeah, I drink like, like flax oil every day. Yeah. It has to every day. So what, I guess, as a vegan who has these health conditions, like what would you recommend in terms of like things that you need to eat every day to kind of keep your levels of health? Yeah, well that. Yeah. <laughs> greens, <laughs> eat your greens. You need your green vegetables. I'm not kidding you. And like, if you have lupus, check out Goodbye Lupus. Um, she's free on Instagram. You know, she's a book. You don't have to spend like what you would have to spend at chemo doctors here. But yeah, eat your greens and need your omega-3s for your mental health and for your body anti-inflammatory. And do you get those from algae sources or fish oil? Yeah, flaxseed, mm. chia seed, um, hemp. You can also get them from algae and stuff. But um, definitely flaxseed is the easiest. And I love flax oil. It's the easiest way for me. And what are your favorite greens? Baby spinach. And I love growing it. I love growing my chard. In summertime, I'll be growing all of it. And it's the best thing ever to literally just pick it from your garden and blend it. It's amazing. Amazing. Yeah, I need to like do better, I think, with my vegan diet. I get very lazy and I eat the same thing. It's easy. <laughs> it's just, well, it's like a normal, you can go that way. And that's why this doctor was like, Rose, you have to eat. Like, I'm talking an insane amount. And if you are sick, Raw veganism is really good to try, but you have to eat the vegetables. You can't just be lazy about it. Like I was drinking so much smoothies a day. Like I was getting a bit insane. Like I need vegan food too because I'm I cook. I love to cook. So I can't just do raw vegan. I have to cook as well. I've never tried raw vegan. I've always been scared because of my digestion. I'm yeah. Like, it's pretty full on for me. What advice would you give to new faces starting in the industry right now? Oh, get ready for a ride. <laughs> um, take everything with a grain of salt. Don't let those people affect you. Stay who you are. Um, if you're feeling a bit like trapped and overwhelmed, go into a forest. <laughs> um, there are some good forests in New York. Yeah, not any. Central Park is the only one. Um, yeah, New York, I wish they had more trees. They definitely need more trees. But do volunteer work. New York cares see some real homeless people, see some real people struggling. Um, Brown Paper Bags is a vegan charity group that feed homeless people on the street, and I love them. Uh, so I think whenever I was really struggling in New York City in the beginning, 
I'd do volunteer work and then I'd see a real struggle and I'm like, okay, didn't have it that bad. <laughs> like I could be on the street right now, sleeping out night, you know, in this freezing cold, homeless. That's amazing. Thank you. Um, I think that's all for me right now. I'm going to pass it over to Ali to go a bit deeper. Thank you, <laughs> so Robin, it's so nice to have you here with us. Thank you for uh, participating in our podcast. So as you know, our podcast uh, is about mental health, behavioral health, psychological health. So I wanted to start with a question, which is, you know, why did you agree to come on our podcast? Why was this compelling enough for you to participate? Um, well, for size, it's two ladies <laughs> and a fellow model. Um, so I knew she'd get it somewhat and have some experience because sometimes we get interviewed by people and you're like, <laughs> it's just the weirdest questions and it's a weird job, you know, it's a really weird job so I can understand why people want to know about it. So let's go back to the concept of plus size. So first for our listeners who may not know, and also me, what, what is the definition of a plus size model? Well, I've like been very public about like dissing that term. I hate that term. Okay, so don't, tell us more about don't that. Don't want to be called that term. <laughs> um, well, like you said, it's like we were called plus size because the fashion world was so skinny compared to the normal world. So they decided to label us. It wasn't, you know, a term that was necessary. And for divisions, so when you want to book a model, you, you know, open up a board, you go to the token plus size division if that's the model that you need for your size. And fashion ends at a size 12. All those designers, they ended at 12, you know, not all of them. Now they're starting to expand their sizing, but like a lot of Australian designers stopped at a size 10. They didn't even go to my size. So when you have designers that don't even go to your size, you know, that's why the whole plus size term came about because I was only modeling catalog for clients that had my sizing and above. So size 12 and up, so size 12 to 20, for example. So that we were the girls for that. <laughs> so given that you were categorized that way, mm -hmm. let's say whether it was not favorable, um, can you tell us your experience of body image? And specifically, you know, I, I know you mentioned that when you were a straight size model, there was a struggle to conform. And afterwards, sounds like you were a little bit free, but I'd like to hear more about that. Yeah, I think like every woman or every, we, we've all struggled with our bodies. I mean, mine's like this. <laughs> it's like a roller coaster. I'm just trying to handle it. Um, the girls around me, like the curvy girls with me, like Tara Lynn, Candice Safine, like they were so in love with their bodies. It was like a breath of fresh air, you know, and seeing that and I was just like, man, I want that. Like... I want that love for my body. And so um, over time, it wasn't overnight, but like I said, I've been forced butt ass naked on most sets. You can imagine the stuff I've done. So I've just started being like, no, my body's fine. I mean, even I would like it curvier sometimes. I'm like, I wish I had an ass. That's why I'm cycling like a crazy person. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I like curves. I think they're sexy to me. Um, but yeah, the idea of perfection, like I'm covered in stretch marks, I'm covered in scars, you know, I've got cellulite, I've got lumps and bumps, my body's not perfect and that's okay. How about in the early part of your career, you know, before you, uh, you got to this point of view, um, did you struggle with eating habits, any erratic habits? Uh, well, definitely when I was trying to be straight size, you know, I was cutting out everything, every food group you could possibly imagine. Okay. Um, and then getting to 
curve, like I said, I went through the decadent dishes era. So I went through the opposite way. I was just eating every like full fat I could. And I was like, yeah, on purpose, because I demand full fat milk, you know. So it was, it went a 180. So it was a bit of a weird ride. Okay. And then when, or if you gained weight, if you had weight fluctuations, let's say when you let it go and ate mm -hmm. that way, what was the response around you professionally? Was there a response? <laughs> yeah, they loved, <laughs> they loved it. They loved it. It's a sad, weird twist inside too. Um, yeah. Yeah, they were all into it. They're like, what are you doing, Robin? And I'm like, oh, I just started a food blog and eating like crazy. They're like, yeah, this is <laughs> this is great. So, yeah, it had a 180. I still work, I've always worked out, though. I'm a very sporty person. So I would just up my workouts. You know, I would train like – I would up my workouts to five times a week or six times a week, you know, or every day. Um, and that was for you personally? That was for work eating. too. Like okay. I needed a hot body still. Like even as I was getting weight, they still wanted, you know, I still was working out like an, a crazy person. Okay. So part of your working out behavior, your energy was for your career, right? It was yeah, like she, modulated yeah, yes, around yes. it. Yeah. So tell us more about that. Like just that <laughs> kind of pattern in general, because it's mm -hmm. come up a lot in our interviews. So mm -hmm. what was that like? And just from a like, psychological point of view. Uh, well, for me... I like working out, so I like it in that respect, and it kind of gets me motivated to go work out. Um, it is intense, say, like after my child and stuff, like the time and finding the time, but I do think working out makes you healthy. So I still think in a weird way it was actually to my benefit, <laughs> but um, the eating at that time wasn't good for me health-wise, so I wish... I'd eaten more like a vegan then and kept working out because I, I can't box like I used to. I used to love boxing, but my hands and my joints get too sore from it like afterwards because I box like a crazy person. Mm. So, yeah, I, there's some things I can't do anymore. I love yoga and meditating and cycling when I can. And, yeah, I'm way more into yoga now than boxing. <laughs> Yeah, and do you do you mean that it became more difficult in your hands since you were diagnosed with lupus, or since or something else? No, that was yeah. I'd been yeah. it was it was the realization that you know slamming into a you know pound bag or my box my trainer wasn't gonna help my joints in any. I hadn't cured lupus yet, okay. So I'd quit, but I'm kind of interested in getting started again. But models need to be flexible too. I think yoga is actually really good if you're a model. I think you should definitely be doing yoga. Mm -hmm. Um, cause you need to do some weird poses sometimes and it's better if you can, if you can hold that leg up there, it's yeah. way easier. No, but that's good to hear that you are an avid athlete and yoga goer. Yeah. No, I love working out. Yeah. It's that endorphins. You need it. Absolutely. It's so good for mental mm -hmm. health, right? And mm -hmm. linked to good outcomes, reduce rates of depression, anxiety, etc. So, um, I want to switch gears a little bit and, I know you, we've talked a little bit about who you are with Bridget, um, but behind this mask of all the visual images that are out there as a result of your modeling career, what do you feel like your identity is? <laughs> That's a big question, but yeah, just what comes to mind? Um, I think I have two identities. You know, there's the tits and ass appeasing Instagram followers, and there's the... Robin that likes the forest listening to electronic music. So I'm a unique individual. Yeah. Um, found out Moby is a big vegan. And so there's a few more electronic music vegans out there 
that love their forests. So yeah, I, as much as I love the city, I love my forest. I need my trees and they're amazing and we need to respect trees. And there's an internet below us called the mycelium network that no one talks about. You know, mushrooms are the roots, are the fruits of the root and no one talks about. So I'm more amazed by the natural world than the fashion world at this stage in my life. And so with that dichotomy that mm -hmm. you described, do you struggle between the two? Yeah, I just, I struggle with the waste and I struggle with the fashion world sometimes being way too serious for its own good. I wish they would all just take a big chill pill and laugh. Um, so it does like, cause sometimes I want to like, you know, fix everything and go plant and go save. And, and then the fashion world isn't like that. Um, but it's changing. And I think, you know, positive is the way to go. And there are some compostable, um, brands starting and more eco brands because fast fashion is really bad for the environment as is making you know underage workers in half the factories make them for us um but i can understand why people want that fashion because designer fashion too is astronomically expensive so it's a yeah i i'm somewhere in there <laughs> Yeah, I, I just I can relate really strongly to feeling like I have this public persona where it's like if I post a photo of me in a bikini at the beach, I get tens of thousands of likes. But if I post something that's actually like important to me, like the oboe or a book or something, I get like nothing. <laughs> and I, I struggle mentally with that quite a lot because it's like how can I be an authentic human being when it's just just my exterior that's being like fetishized almost by people? Um yeah, Pauline Porshakova just did a post about that. Oh, really? Yeah, but the good thing is, and I will say this, my most like Instagram post is actually the one I did after my seizure down the staircase Amazing. when my face was really messed up and me just, my agent was like, I don't think you should do this, but you can if you want, but I don't think you should do this. And I'm like, <laughs> I can't not, I can't keep it hidden. I can't keep it secret. Mm. I want to, I don't want to fix my scars. I want them there and I want the world to accept me. So putting that up there I did not think it'd get that reaction and it's still today my most liked post that's amazing yeah. actually whenever I write openly on my blog when I was blogging those posts will get a lot of reaction um so I guess there is that capacity still for human connection online no I think people appreciate truth and yeah. I th sometimes like like I said I I like also like I said I like women's bodies so I get why there's models and I get the appreciation of body, especially female bodies. Mm. So that's why I like sometimes posting it because I'm like, I know this is what you like. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I think that real, it has to be real though. Yeah. yeah that was so real. Like I couldn't. <laughs> I think yeah. that's about vulnerability, yeah. right? And r admitting that you're vulnerable mm -hmm. is a strength, although it's hard for many people to mm -hmm. be vulnerable. And I think well, like what you said, like people connect because it's human, it's real. And we all go through things like that. Right. But for you who probably projects these perfect images for you to project imperfect or very real mm -hmm. image is reassuring, I think, to many people. So it's nice to hear that that response was there on both ends. And that's why we're doing this, too. Right. Because we know that. People struggle. It doesn't matter who you are, what you do, where you live, how you live. Yeah, there's always a facade. Like yeah. you're someone else. And, I mean, but yeah, I've seen even the top most models in the PJs walking around the streets if no one's going to be looking. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like there's, yeah, everyone's not perfect. Like there's always going to be a 
well some people <laughs> see i'm already been like with well, them people act like they're always perfect so yeah. i can understand those people that. i wonder though i'm like what's really going on like you can't yeah. like it looks intense else. some of them i'm like i couldn't think i could do that like prefer perfect makeup all, all day every day oh, yeah. could not do that like i don't admire them just because like i'm admired like jane goodall's and things like that or david attenborough but those people they're they're in it man they're in that perf perfect world it would be intense i respect the work ethic involved in that yeah i know the word i know there is work ethic i just wish it was more for the environment not their face but. yeah but i guess then we could so just thinking about it psychologically right we would look at well what is the driver for someone that needs to look perfect all the time 100 percent? what is that about psychologically yeah. right is it overcompensating for some deeper emotional thing that they're struggling with or influences when they're young. I mean, there's so many possibilities. Yeah, no, there right? is. I'm amazed by them yeah. too. I don't understand how someone could um, like appear to be that perfect all the time. Mm. But then we're a lot like that on, there's a lot of people like that on Instagram. So yeah, I don't know. You said something to me about the line you walk between belongings or material things and belonging to a community that you believe in. And I think you mentioned, you know, environmentalism or veganism. And my question is, was this dichotomy always there or did this change when you were diagnosed with lupus? Um, it was always there. I was really, into, I was a scout growing up and into the forest. But after my daughter was born in LA, I'd moved to LA and I went from Santa Monica to Topanga. <laughs> the moment she was born, I was like, can't do this world anymore. I have to be in a forest and gardened and had my first garden, which I was like, you know, I could roll around and I was so excited. Like dirt isn't dirt to me. It's a beautiful thing. You know what I mean? It's soil, it's earth. So gardening, I really wanted to just grow my own. Um, so my daughter really put that into gear and she's the one that's made me more like you know what it's fine to be into composting and gardening it's I should encourage it you know so and then when I moved to New York I lasted like three days in the city again with her and just couldn't do it we me and my man were just with forest fairies we had to get out we were like we just have to move so yeah, we lasted, I think, two and two months and like three days and we'd been in New York for years both of us for years and then we just moved upstate. Yeah, so having a child sounds like change yeah. your perspective. Yeah. So let's go to motherhood. Um, obviously, you know I'm a mother of two young children, and your daughter is almost five. Outside of what you talked about, how did motherhood change you? Um, you look at pre, pre having her and post. <laughs> it's such like an experience that you're not never ready for. Um, she, I have a really beautiful girl. She's so sweet. Um, but yeah, motherhood has been such, yeah, 180 experience. Like when they hand you that kid, I remember still when she was born and like just gave it to me. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> um, but yeah, that responsibility, she keeps me much more truthful. I don't have the time or the memory capacity to lie anymore. So she, what do you mean by lie? Lie, like lie, like keep my whole upstate living a secret <laughs> like uh, oh, okay. like all my agents were wishing I was doing <laughs> joking. sorry guys um no I just had to be who I am which is like I said a forest person to you what's the most disconcerting piece about transforming into a mother and going on that journey 
Um, uh, I don't know. I think like it's definitely an intense ride and I, I do wish there was more help available or understanding, I suppose. Um, I'm one and done. I'm not having any more. I can only put energy enough into one and it's not safe for me to have another one. Um, I really wanted a girl, so I got really lucky with that. Um, but I don't know, like, I think it has its, you know, moments, but at the end of the day, I love my daughter. Like I love, I'm obsessed with her. She's a beautiful soul and it might be different if I had, you know, you know, a different kid or a different needs. And I feel a lot sorrier for women that have like special needs children. It would be a 180 experience. It'd be a lot more traumatic and stressful. So kudos to those mothers. You're doing well. Um, so yeah, I'm, like I said, I got lucky. She's easy kid. Mm -hmm. Got nothing to complain about. How did becoming a mother affect your career? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it definitely affects your career immensely. And I was pregnant when I was shooting Sports Illustrated for the first time. I kept it secret from everyone on set. And then when it came out, I was 42 weeks or 40 weeks still doing press stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, and then, you know, I also had someone else claiming they were in the issue when they weren't. And I was trying to do press for like, no, I'm curvy, I'm in it, I'm proud of my body. And I was really pregnant. So it was a very weird time. And then afterwards getting so sick and stuff like that, like it definitely affects your career no matter what career you have. Um, and yeah, I, I can't do it like I used to. I was very, in, I was traveling insane. I've got like a million miles, which is bad for the environment, but you know, I've flown everywhere when you're in it and when you're top of your game, you are in it. You are working every day. You don't get a chance. And I, it's hard for me to complain, like I said, because I've seen those homeless people on the street. It's hard for me to complain about this kind of stuff. Um, but at the same time, you can get really sick from it if you're not careful. And so watch yourself. If you're working like an insane person, you, you're not you think you're young and not, you know, nothing's going to happen to you, but it will if you don't take that time for yourself and respect yourself and your body and stuff. So do you feel that the amount of work or the volume that you had prior and leading up to your pregnancy, do you think that was a risk factor for you in getting sick? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. I was working, I was doing my cookbook. I photographed that entire thing while working ev almost every day. Like, you know, with editors up my back, you know, I'd be fighting with the editor every second day. And like, I remember in the end, I literally printed out the entire book page by page and was like, this is what I want. You know, like I'm very perfectionist. So I know what I want. Um, but it was, yeah, it was a lot of stress. So were you aware of the stress? Or yeah. You, yeah, you were. Yeah. Oh yeah. And how and, was it affecting you? Um, I'd started getting a rash and I'd started, um, so the lupus actually was starting before my daughter was born. Okay. Um, I started getting a rash and nothing would cure it. And uh, I went to lots of different doctors and they were like, I don't know what this is. Um, some, you know, so it was affecting me. Even through exercising as much as I was, it was starting to affect me. Okay. Um, and then at any point, either leading up to your pregnancy or after did you, with the diagnosis of lupus, did you ever see anyone like a counselor, anyone in mental health to help you? Yeah, I saw a great woman in LA and moving to Topanga, 
was really helpful because all the mums were like experienced directors and music producers and workers in their 40s. So my mum's circle group was amazing and they were so such loving and caring women and it was such a breath of fresh air because my friends unfortunately were young and in a completely different headspace and you know I'm talking kids to them they're like we don't want to talk about this you know I had a kid young it was 24 or 25 so my friends I lost a lot of friends because they just were not interested they just didn't want to talk about that kind of stuff unfortunately so. Yeah, no, it's really important to have a good mom group. You need your you. mom group. <laughs> yes, exactly. They help, they save the day. Yes, absolutely. Have you ever experienced what you understand to be depression or anxiety? Yeah, all the time. You know, my dad was a fireman and he had severe depression. Um, so I knew he took, you know, drugs for the depression and everything. I knew what it was like. And my other sister's a paramedic. So they have very intense jobs and like listening to some of the stories. So I know what depression looks like and anxiety. And yeah, I've had definitely both bouts of both. Um, never to take drugs. I'm really into marijuana. <laughs> um, you know, California was great because I could take, can have my marijuana. So what does the marijuana do for you? Uh, relaxes me. Yeah. And, you know, for loot, for when you have like, um, it's great CBD. I love CBD oil as well. I love CBD. That's yeah. been a game changer No, for it me. is legit like hemp and everything. I mean, I think it's a bloody plant. It should be legal everywhere. Um, I th don't know why we're not letting trees grow. <laughs> um, I would have a whole forest of it if I could here, but, <laughs> um, in LA I could. So that was also a big reason of moving to LA. Yeah. With CBD and marijuana, is it for stress and anxiety then for you? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And do you recall a time where either depression or anxiety was particularly overwhelming for you and what was going on around that time? Uh, yeah. I mean, like I said, when I was really in it, I was kind of a different person. You know, I was in New York City. I was doing my cookbook. I was really, you know, modeling everything and you get fierce and there's a lot of issues with girls and stuff. There's a lot of drama with agencies and agents and it's such a different world. It's, you know, now I'm like up in Woodstock with my mates and pajamas during the day if we can get away with it. Like, so, you know, in New York, you have to look good every day. You have to be that person every day. And yeah, so. Just going back on that point, like God, just the, the sheer intensity of like the fashion industry. And then when you're feeling that way mentally, it can be so hard to show up. Yeah. Like, they'll tell you you look like shit too. If you oh, shop yeah. to your agency and you look like shit, they'll and be you, like, what the, what are you wearing? Robin? And I'm like, I thought this was good. <laughs> yeah. I know whenever I've been like mentally blue or anxious, I've like, would just resort back to wearing the same thing every single day to every single casting. And like, I remember like having oh, to castings are brutal. I know having to like psych yeah. myself up to go into my agency and to speak to people. Cause like just that feeling of sadness was so hard to shake. And then like having to pretend like it's, it's definitely a whole other layer of pressure on top of an already difficult mind state. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people don't really understand that, but. I mean, casting is you go in there to be judged for how you look. So I think they understand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So as we know, the body changes quite significantly during pregnancy and afterwards. How did you, the body changes related to having your daughter impact your view of your body 
and or your career? Um, well, I remember because swimwear was such, you know, I had a swimwear brand and Sports Illustrated. And I remember at one stage at like six months pregnant because I had a big baby. Um, the stretch marks started on my stomach. It was something I couldn't get out, couldn't get away with. And I was like, nah, because they were new and they were ripping my body. Like they were purple and fresh. And I was like, no, please, no, stop. Oh, shit, they're there. <laughs> and, you know, I have them on my hips and stuff, but they're old and white. Like they're just the fresh, new and it looked like this hand had just like, you know, scraped down my stomach. But then I also felt better about it too in a weird way because I knew that the pregnancy was, she was really healthy and perfect and it's just my skin changing. You know, I can't control that. And so like similar to the ones on my, all over my body, I'm, you know, six foot two, I grew rapidly. And so, yeah, part of me was like, once again, I'm just going to have to accept it. And it helped with social media. I did a big social post and that helped seeing other girls been like, thank you. We have them too. It's okay. Like being relatable because you do have to go into those castings and you do have to stand there in your underwear and with fresh red stretch marks isn't easy. Um, but you can do it and you can get through it. Yeah. And how long did it take to get your baby weight off? Oh, well, I, like, I was going through so much health problems. Yeah. My my it's health problems were intense. So, you know, it came off pretty quick and natural, I think, um, with everything that was going on. Um, I was still working out. Like I was saying, I was still working out even after strokes. Wow. Um, Did you have to take a break from your career? No. I worked all through it. I don't know how it's even possible. Like, um you know, even two weeks after she was born, I had to do a really big commercial and it was a commercial that you could, you ha I couldn't say no to. So things like that happen and that's the nature of our job. Bridget will understand. You got to take it while it's there. You can't be picky or choosy sometimes. You're like, it's there. I got to take it now. Um, that's your income. That's your bread and butter. And that's what feeds your kid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Survival. I was in hospital last week, but this yeah. is a great job. So I'll just do it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, you know, we know that you live not in the city here in the forest <laughs> and commute back and forth. So how is your work life balance now, now that you have a daughter? Um, it's like, I still, I fly to Australia on Sunday, like work's still a priority. Um, do you take her with you? Uh, sometimes I took her end of last year, okay. um, which is good for some trips, but it's an intense, like when I'm back there, I'm working hard. So it's not the easiest time. Um, but she loves going home and she loves seeing my family and stuff. But yeah, like uh, I just juggle it, you know, work comes first, but so does my health now. And do you still feel any inklings of the work stress that you used to feel? Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Like it's such a roller coaster ride, this job. And your ego can go up and then it can get smashed to the floor. Um, yeah, it's a roller coaster. I get through it, you know, especially with my girlfriends and talking about it. I have a lot of girlfriends and mums out of modeling too. They were former models and they're the best to talk to. Um, and I have a lot of industry friends. Like I slept over at my photographer friend Taylor last night, you know, we both videographed stuff together. So we're both nerds together. And, and I think I get through it with friends. And, you know, given that you've had experience with a health issue, stress in your life, 
having a daughter, and then all of the body fluctuations related to body image, weight, eating, etc. Knowing that you're on a mental health podcast, you know, what would you like to tell people who are listening to this, right? Who may have similar struggles. What's the message that you'd like to send? Uh, apart from going vegan, um, yeah, <laughs> go vegan, <that's> <laughs> go vegan. Uh, please go vegan. Um, no, accept your body for what it is right today. Don't wait tomorrow. No matter what size you are, please just love your body because it can change just that love to it and know that you can get better um, once again. And if you're feeling that way, you, you might need to take a trip to a forest. <laughs> you might need to just go spend some time amongst some trees. And um, I know that sounds weird, but tree bathing is actually a thing in Japan. Like it's a real thing. We need to connect back to the forest. So tell us more about tree bathing. <laughs> well, like it's just, you know, trees, I, no, I sound crazy when I'm talking about the mycelium network, but trees actually connect talk to each other through mushrooms they share nutrients they communicate they literally talk underneath our feet and once I found that out I was I mean I'm so blown away by trees already but what you see on top of a tree that's how long the roots go down you know so I think they give us oxygen to breathe and they're a beautiful part of our society and we need to protect them so thank you so much for participating in our podcast yeah I just wanted to add to that final little bit um and if you see a fern and you're in an environment with lots of ferns you should stop and like spend 15 minutes just like sitting and breathing because I think the not the probiotics the microbes or something that ferns give off it's like it links back to the most like ancient like environment for humans and it's supposed to be super beneficial for your yeah we thought we've only scratched the surface of trees like we have no idea what we're talking about humans come along we're a very young species like Fungi has been here for over a billion years. Like, mm. we don't know what we're talking about yet. No and idea. And we really need to protect those ancient forests. Yeah. Do you take any, like, supplements that are mushroom-based? No. I've been growing some mushrooms at the moment. I'm trying to learn. It's such a new world to grow fungi. It's yeah. really weird and interesting. <laughs> um, but I've been growing some pink oyster mushrooms with my daughter. Um, you can actually grow them indoors. In those little boxes, right? Yeah, but you can do – I'm learning all about it. It's. I actually think it will be one of those things for climate because as the climate continues to go downhill, as i.e. Australia, mm. um, we will need things that can be grown indoors. And mushroom, actually, one thing that you can grow indoors. Mm. So and I've been researching that way. nutritionally yeah. beneficial. Yeah, and they're delicious. <laughs> yeah, they're great. Yeah, <laughs> got to get that vitamin D in. Um, okay, so I have one question that I ask everybody, um, and the answers can be whatever you like. <laughs> if you had 5 million Instagram followers, what would you want to tell them? It can be about mental health, or it can be about the world at large. The world of fungi? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it would be that. It'd be like, get back into that hippie stage of you. Like, don't. The city's great to visit and stuff, but it'd be protect your forest, protect nature. We need to protect her, she's in a serious jeopardy and she'll recover from humans. Mother Nature's recovered through an asteroid hit with the dinosaurs. She'll, re- she'll recover, but we won't. We need the earth healthy. So my biggest last thing is like, you've got to compost, you've got to recycle, you've got to eat well, you've got to know where your products come from today. I love that so much. Thank you so much Thanks for, for having me. Thank, Thank you, Robin. Thank you. You are listening to Model Mentality. Welcome to Let's Get Clinical by Dr. Ali. 
In this segment, I explore connecting the dots between our guests' personal stories and the larger mental health context. You are listening to our interview with Robin Lolly. So let's review Robin's story. Robin is an international fashion model who has been modeling for over a decade. She is from Australia and grew up tree planting on Sundays instead of going to church and has been composting since she was young. She is intensely focused on the environment as she navigates her career as a fashion model. For Robin, her health has become an absolute priority in her life. After the birth of her daughter five years ago, she had two strokes and was diagnosed with lupus after ending up in a coma. Robin is clear on what keeps her grounded. Music, and specifically electronic music and DJing, spending as much time as she can in the forest and with her loved ones, and following a healthy vegan diet with her family, which has resulted in the past year, her health having significantly improved. What stands out to me from a clinical perspective are three things. First, the psychological pressures of adhering to body image ideals. Second, her diagnosis of lupus. And third, the role of nutrition in both health and mental health outcomes. So let's talk about Robin and her experience of having to adhere to body image ideals in her industry. We learned in the podcast that Robin initially had tried to conform to the challenging ideals of maintaining her body size as a straight size model. But when this requirement was relaxed as she was put into the plus size category, she is after all 6'2 and a size 8 at her leanest. She was also able to relax the pressure on herself and feel more free. But being in her profession, of course, the pressures still abound, and she describes how her diet and body weight are in a continuous state of flux. It was not until she was diagnosed with lupus that it necessitated a consistent approach to her nutrition and her health that has left her feeling healthier and happier. So what is lupus? Lupus is an autoimmune disease that is more common in women and usually rears its head from anywhere in the teens to the 40s. Although it's unclear the exact number of people who are affected, one study by Helmick et al. in 2008, and the reference will be in the show notes, shows that approximately 160,000 in the United States have it at any given time. Lupus can affect many systems in the body, including the heart, the lungs, joints, and the central nervous system. The strokes and seizure that Robin experienced are some of the complications of lupus that can occur. Some people experience a flaring of symptoms frequently and others much less frequently. Because I am a psychiatrist and mental health is my focus, what I'd like for you to know is that people with chronic disease such as cancer, heart disease, diabetes, epilepsy, multiple sclerosis, stroke, Alzheimer's, HIV AIDS, Parkinson's disease, lupus, and rheumatoid arthritis are at a higher risk for depression, and likewise, people with depression are at a higher risk for chronic disease. You can read more about this on the National Institutes for Mental Health, or NIMH, website. Robin mentioned that she has been depressed in the past, and although we did not explore this in detail, it's good for Robin and others with lupus and chronic disease to know that depression can occur and that it's important to get help if this starts to become an issue. You can only imagine that it becomes harder for someone to manage their chronic health condition in terms of being on point with medications, nutrition, and treatment if someone also is depressed at the same time. So what do we know about the impact of nutrition on health and mental health. 
For Robin, she has seen the direct benefit on her health by choosing wisely what she eats. Robin is vegan, and she grows her own vegetables at home and eats plenty of greens and nutrients to ensure a healthy diet. Her lupus symptoms have been dormant during this time. The caveat here is that if you have lupus, please consult your own medical provider to get advice for your own situation. There is no doubt that a healthy diet plays a role in reducing risk for and preventing chronic disease, and specifically what we call non-communicable disease. That refers to diseases that are not contagious and can't pass from person to person. The World Health Organization has a whole initiative around preventing deaths from non-communicable diseases, otherwise known as NCDs, through modifying risk factors such as, quote, tobacco use, physical inactivity, unhealthy diet, and the harmful use of alcohol, end quote. According to the WHO, there are 38 million deaths per year from these types of diseases, and many of the deaths could be prevented if we work on these risk factors that I just mentioned. So Robin is on to something here. Her switch to eating extremely healthy has had a notable impact on her lupus symptoms. There is also increasing evidence that nutrition can impact mental health, and a whole field called nutritional psychiatry to support this evidence base. Going back to Robin, she has a high-powered career, and in the heights of her career, had a baby and was diagnosed with a chronic health condition, and she still carries on. She has found a way to cope with her situation through her retreat into nature and her focus on nutrition for herself and her family. I think that hers is an important story to tell and to emphasize that we can't take our health for granted. Many in our society struggle with chronic health issues, and we want you to understand that you are not alone, that there is power in speaking up and in asking for and receiving help. Thanks for listening to Let's Get Clinical by Dr. Ali. Please check our show notes for references and more information on this episode. As always, if you are in crisis or you think you may have an emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. If you're having suicidal thoughts, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255 to talk to a skilled, trained counselor at a crisis center in your area at any time. If you are located outside of the United States, call your local emergency line immediately. What you have heard on model mentality does not represent what would take place during a psychiatric assessment or an actual therapy session. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Model Mentality. If you like today's content, please subscribe to Model Mentality or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. Model Mentality is brought to you by Mind Studios.